The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. When they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Doug, I'm a little hot. Can you turn the gain down just a bit? Thank you. Well, this morning's lesson from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I think, is especially timely. I I don't know if you have encountered this phenomenon in person, but I'm reading more and more stories about hostility, about people being mean to each other. There was a restaurant in Cape Cod where the staff, the wait staff of the restaurant was being treated so poorly by their clients that they shut the restaurant down for one day and, uh, and the owner uh, took the whole staff out for parasailing and, and had a lovely day, <clears throat> both because it was a fun day on the lake and also because they were not getting yelled at by entitled people on vacation. Now, this is not the only place that we see this hostility emerging. I think whatever your political views, you have to agree that the climate is far more toxic now than at any point, certainly in my memory. It's not to say there haven't been times that politics haven't been this, have been this toxic. Uh, if you study history, what's going on today seems like a pillow fight compared to some of the other times, but it feels awful. And if you're on social media at all and you see people yelling at each other, people scorning each other, people exhibiting hostility toward each other, I think we have to see this is something that is not healthy in our society. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important for the church to be a counterculture. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a church that emphasized being nice. Now, let me be clear. I was growing up as a boy and being nice is something that has to be beaten into boys. You have to be trained to be respectful to your elders. You have to be trained to not say mean things to girls. You have to be trained to not trip your friend when you're racing. And so I have to acknowledge that some of my experience of this church growing up may simply have to have to do with the fact that I was also, as I was growing up for the first 13 years of my life in this church, also growing up and being taught to not 
be the kind of person I naturally would be if I was not trying to pay attention to how I was treating people. But one of the challenges that I face, and I think this is a, a valid critique of that kind of place, is that there was not a real strong emphasis on why I was supposed to be nice. There was just an understanding that I was supposed to be nice, wasn't supposed to hit back, uh, I was supposed to be uh, a peacemaker, and I was supposed to be kind to everybody and certainly not pull the girl's chair out when she went to sat, sit down on it. But connecting that to Jesus was not something that that church did especially well. Jesus, in a sense, was like the nicest guy you could imagine. I mean, he was basically like Mr. Rogers on steroids. Again, that was also my, I was growing up and I was only allowed to watch Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and the Electric Company. Although sometimes if my mom wasn't paying attention, I could sit around after those and I caught Julia Child. Uh, but, but, you know, Mr. Rogers was sort of held up as the ideal and Jesus was like the best Mr. Rogers you could imagine, except he wore a bathrobe. But like, be nice because Mr. Rogers is nice. Be nice because Jesus is really nice. Be like Jesus, except maybe try not to get crucified. It, it, didn't, it didn't really hold together. But what we get today in Paul's lesson is, I think, a good enough reason, a good enough connection between what it is for us to not just be nice, but to be kind and loving and gentle to one another. In fact, he gives us more than one in his writings. So, first we need to pay attention to one of the purposes of what Jesus did. According to Paul here, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, verse, verse 14, he says, he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And here's the purpose. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. See, the, the dividing wall of hostility that Paul is talking about here, it, it, it could be metaphorical, just talking about the, the, the radical cultural uh, uh, division between Jew and Gentile. Paul, having been raised as a, as a, a faithful and a, observant Jew in the Roman Empire in the first century, certainly would have been enculturated into that. As a student of, of the great Rabbi Gamliel, he would have been steeped in the, the wisdom of his tradition and also in the cultural boundary markers of that tradition, which involved things like not eating meat sacrificed to idols, not eating pork, uh, respecting the, the holy days, wearing certain clothing, and kind of being suspicious of all the Gentiles who didn't do those things. Likewise, Gentiles saw Jews as a weird group of folks, and they had some strange practices, and they, they wouldn't sacrifice to the empire. The Roman Empire realized it made more sense rather than making them do something they wouldn't do, just tax them a little bit more and then we'll, we'll call it good. But there was this cultural division. There could also, uh, this could also have been a reference to a, a literal dividing wall. In, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was the court of the Gentiles where anybody could go, but then beyond that point, the court that was inside of that was only available to Jews. Jewish men and women co could go into that. 
but Gentiles could not. In fact, we, we, archaeologists have found these, these inscriptions on that wall that said, basically, if you're not Jewish, don't pass this upon pain of death. What we know is that there was this hostility between the two. And, and this was especially a challenge in the churches that Paul planted. Throughout the Mediterranean and in the, the Jewish diaspora, you had Jews and Gentiles in all these cities where Paul went to, to plant churches. He preached the gospel. His, his usual move was he would show up and he'd start out in the synagogue because you know, he still had a reputation as being one of great Rabbi Gamaliel's students. And they'd come and they asked Paul to come and teach in the synagogues. And he did. And he taught them about Jesus. And then the folks in the synagogue didn't like that very much. So they kicked him out, sometimes violently. And then he'd go someplace else and teach until he got run out of town. And so the churches that he, he founded had people who had been Jewish and still identified themselves as Jewish and people who had not been. And, and they're both serving Jesus. And they're now in community together. And Paul says, look, this, there's not supposed to be this hostility between the two. One of the things he was always fighting about was people who were trying to gin up hostility specifically from Jews against Gentiles. And so what he, Paul tells his people to do is to accept one another. This is Romans chapter 15, really important. Romans 14 and 15 are really important in understanding how we're to treat one another in the church. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And earlier on in Romans, Paul says, you know, what did it mean for Christ to accept us? Well, it meant that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if there's anything you find unacceptable about somebody else, consider that Christ didn't find that unacceptable. Or at least he didn't find that as something he was unwilling to die for. No, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order, and here's the second reason, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. That's the second reason Paul talks about is that, that this accepting of one another, this abolishing of the dividing wall of hostility is actually something that is going to bring worship to God. Paul goes on to say that because you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but instead you are in fact fellow citizens with God's people. Here he's addressing Gentiles, saying you are as much part of God's household. You are as much God's people as, as people descended bodily from Abraham. You're fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, and that household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole body, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. What's a temple for? It's there for worship. The temples exist to worship God. 
And so Paul says, as you are built up into this building, you are being built up into a thing that glorifies God. You, all of you, even you, you're being built up into something that glorifies God. And, and this, I think, is, is certainly Paul has in mind the kind of promises that God gave to David that we read about in our Old Testament reading that we heard. When, when, when God says, I, I didn't tell you you needed to build me a house, but check out the kind of house that I'm going to build. I mean, David would have thought that God was talking about his literal descendant, his son, Solomon. But in fact, we know that there is a bigger promise being made about the house that David, great David's greater son, Jesus, would be building. John, in his gospel, tells us that on the night he was betrayed, our, our Lord Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, Father, I'm praying not just for my disciples here. I'm praying also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. In order that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us in order that the world may know that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. In other words, the, the integrity of our relationships in the church are a direct testimony to the gospel. When we treat each other well, when we accept one another, when we choose to love one another rather than being hostile, when we choose to be kind to each other rather than being hostile, when we choose to be in relationship with each other instead of canceling each other, we testify that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die an atoning death on the cross for our salvation. So I want to ask three things of you. The first thing is I want you to think about hostility that is directed at you. Think about the hostility that you experience. It may not be directly personal, but you may be aware of people who speak harshly about people who are like you, or who think like you, or who live like you. Think about that hostility. Think about what it's like to be hated. Think about the people who are hating. Think about the people who are being hostile or fomenting that division. And pray for them. Bless them. Do not curse. Try to understand them as best you can, as generously as you can, as sympathetically as you can. This is not going to be easy. It goes against every self-defense instinct that we have to, to put our minds on people that 
we regard as hostile, as a threat, and to try to think of them as positively as we can. But I think it's necessary. It's a necessary part of breaking down dividing walls of hostility. So the second thing I want to ask you, after you think about the hostility directed at you, turn that on its head and do an honest and fearless inventory of the ways that you might have other people thinking that way about you. The people who might think that you're the one being hostile, that you're hating. This is going to be even harder. And it may take a while. It may take some imagination. You may be thinking, I don't hate anybody. I'm not hostile to anybody. I don't go yelling at people. I'm nice to my waiter and I treat him, uh, tip him well. But take some time to think about it. We're so, I mean, the, 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 that, that instinct to protect ourselves by being hostile against those that we perceive as hostile is so deeply, deeply hardwired. If you keep at it for a while, you'll find something. Then the third thing I want to ask of you is that you make peace. You'll have a chance to do that in just a few minutes when we share the peace. And the, the reason we do that in church is not as like a warm-up for coffee hour. It's not a contest to see how many hands you can shake before everybody has to sit down again, although some places you'd think that's what it's really for. Now, that, that, that is liturgically significant because that is where before we come to the altar, before we come to the Lord's table, we make peace with anybody that we are not at peace with. Conveniently, you're probably sitting next to the person you came to church with. <clears throat> you may have had an argument last night or this morning or just now during the sermon. But make peace among God's people. And if we do that, we have the opportunity to continue building what we have here, which is a holy temple based on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We have the opportunity as we develop these relationships, and they're here. This is not a church where I experience a whole lot of hostility. But as we demonstrate what that looks like to a watching world, as we can tell people in our lives, you know, I, there's this person at my church and we didn't agree on this thing and yet we, we still love each other. We testify to the truth that God sent His Son that He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become God's righteousness. Amen.